0: Listening Dog Media.
1: This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
0: The Offside Rule We Get It with Lindsay Hooper, Hayley McQueen, and Cade Borset.
2: Hello and welcome to the Offside Rule. We get it. The hangovers have subsided. We're a year old and it's time to get back to business with episode 13. Joining me today are regular Hayley McQueen and Alison Bender, known to many of you as one of the faces of Premier League TV, NBC and ESPN. It's safe to say that she's a bit of a football aficionado. That's why she's on. Uh, She's got plenty of robust opinions to share as well. Lindsay Hooper, by the way, is in Paris. Last seen, legging it up the Champs Elysees after Ibrahimovic. Always, Lasan, show us your back heel. should will be hounding him forever. Uh, a reminder that you can listen to us, The Offside Rule, on Audio and on iTunes. Track us down on Twitter at Offside Rule Pods, and you can uh, look at our website. It's looking fantastic, by the way, at the moment. OffsideRulePodcast.com. Uh, this week, it's about a loyalty bonus. We applaud Norwich fans who still clap their side off the pitch despite a 7 0 horror show away at Manchester City. Pretty rare in this day. so i'll be asking the ladies for other examples of fan loyalty how much of a difference can it make to a team's performance and there's been a couple of great animal themed football stories recently including a dog at the back post in a -a five-a-side game getting in on the goal action i love that clip i'll share it with you later Uh, so i've asked both you girls to go wild Ho-Ho. Do you get it? Yeah. Uh, And pick out a few others from players and their pets to football animal lookalikes. In just a few moments, we'll turn our attention to the top eight in the Premier League as it stands. But first of all, let's welcome Alison
3: and find out where her footballing loyalties lie. Alison, who's your team? My team is Chelsea. I was born into it, really. My dad's a massive Chelsea fan and I didn't really have any other choice whatsoever, to be honest.
2: (laughs) And thank you very much for uh, stepping into the shoes of the ladies here at the Offside Rule podcast. It's lovely to have Ali with us isn't it Hayley? I like having guests in to visit us. And Alison and
4: I have known each other quite a long time through our mutual friend Kay Murray because Alison used to
2: anchor Real Madrid TV and worked there as a reporter and presenter. Let's go on to our topics this week. We'll start with topic one. Ten games in. Arsenal, five points clear at the top of the table and the title holders are in eighth. Some topsy-turvy results going on at the moment. Let's take a look at the top eight teams. Who's going to run out of steam in that top eight? Which teams outside the top eight are going to make more... More of an impact are going to move into those top eight places and uh, how will positions shift before the new year? Hayley McQueen, I'm going to start with you. OK, in brief, do you know what? The, the top 10 isn't shaping up too
4: badly. It isn't where we thought the beginning of the season that these teams would be. But when you actually look at the performances, I can't take away from those top three sides, Arsenal, Chelsea and Liverpool. I can't see the way that they're playing changing and heading into the new year with them not in the top three. I think Liverpool in particular, I think they've been a really exciting side, if I dare say it, as a Manchester United <laughs> fan. Um, Manchester City, they've been a bit of a mixed bag. Maybe they'll jump up above Tottenham Hotspur. But after that derby drumming of United, they did look vulnerable playing Aston Villa and Cardiff, I think it has to be said. So I think even though they've had big results against big rivals like United, they haven't performed in the Champions League and against some of the lesser sides. So Manchester City they have the squad there. Maybe Tottenham Hotspur, in my opinion, don't have the squad to carry on through. It'll just depend where these teams are in terms of other competition. You look at the Champions League and how that will impact Manchester City. How cup competitions will impact Southampton. Whether they can keep up that unbelievable defence. Their They're. 10 games in however when you looked at who southampton have had results against west brom norwich liverpool has been their biggest test yet palace swansea fulham and stoke again good draw to an average or below the average manchester
2: united side but they've yet to face the likes of Big teams. Talk about Southampton's biggest test being Liverpool. Well, Liverpool lost that game, of course, 1-0 um, and it's interesting to look at where they are in the table at the moment, in third having slipped down from second. Alison, you're a Chelsea fan. How do you fare Chelsea's prospects? Because I'm going to say right now, as I said at the beginning of the season, I do fancy them for the title. I think they've got a great depth of squad. I think they must improve their form away from home. That's an absolute definite but that gives them somewhere to get to.
3: I mean, it's a difficult one, isn't it, with Chelsea? Kelsey, I think their biggest problem has been the goal scoring. And I think it, it was no surprise, really, um, when you saw at the beginning of the season that uh, Jose Mourinho had decided to stick with Fernando Torres, bring in Samuel Eto'o as well. For me, when you have a side that are ch- a genuine title contenders, I think that you need four Really good clinical strikers. Manchester City had them when they won the title a couple of seasons ago. Manchester United had them last season when they won the title. And I don't think that Chelsea have them. However, we don't know what uh, Jose Mourinho is going to do in January. He did seem that he really wanted to. He thought he was going to get Wayne Rooney over the summer. And I think... That perhaps is something that went wrong for him and his plans. But I think if they're able to buy a really good clinical striker in January, I know they're difficult. You know, it's hard to come by. Um, One thing I did want to do. I've been a little bit geeky here, but um, I've got. uh, I've I've had a look at the table from last season after ten games to see how it kind of compares to the final table at the end of the season. And there were a few surprises, but in general, things actually didn't sort of change around too much. And I'm actually saying the same as Haley that I think the top eight is going to be pretty much the. top top eight come the end of the season. Not necessarily in that order though. Um, I'll tell you the biggest surprises from last season. So 18th, 19th and 20th were Reading, Queen's Park Rangers and Southampton. Now we know that Reading and Queen's Park Rangers went down but Southampton um, um, managed to have an incredible climb. They were bottom and they climbed up six places and they finished in a fairly respectable 14th and we've seen how good they've been this season um, under Mauricio Pochettino. I think he's done such a good job with the you know, a new pressing game. Uh, United, they had a one point lead after 10 games and of Of course, they ended up with that 11 point uh, lead at the top. You can't rule out Manchester United when they win the title by 11 points and haven't changed too much I know that there is the David Moyes effect but then the one thing worth worth thinking about is that David Moyes with Everton always had a great run towards the end of the season didn't he after Christmas so maybe they're going to pick up the pace I think the telling thing will be a couple of big matches so November and December have three Premier League games and six Premier League games so nine in total there's a massive game on December the uh, 14th City against Arsenal a week later Arsenal against Chelsea. So I think by Christmas we should have a pretty good idea of where things are going to be. I was going to talk to you about Arsenal's fixtures and I think
2: Arsenal uh, won't remain at the top of the table, I have have to say. Their early fixtures have been kind and I know that there's no such thing as a kind fixture but when you look at it on paper, the early fixtures have been good to Arsenal but coming up as you say Ali, they've got Manchester United Cardiff away from home which is tricky as we know, Manchester City, Chelsea the fixtures over Christmas and New Year are a bit kinder to them but Arsenal have played more games in Europe so by right now they actually should be more on form than some of the people surrounding them there at the top of the table I worry for the strength of their squad arsenal too Ertzel was a great signing there's, there's, there's no debate about that Aaron Rams 's form six goals four assists in the last ten Premier League games you can't argue with that either but how long can they keep it going Wenger needs to spend again in January to bring that feel good factor back he needs to spend in January but he'll have Podolski back come January as well from, from injuries
4: so I think that is really positive for them again completely agree with you I think I can see Arsenal slipping down I still see Chelsea in that number one spot around about Christmas New Year I think when you look at all the fixtures I won't bore you all with it but if you know that the running of these fixtures particularly Manchester United as well yes they're my team five wins out of the last six so they haven't lost since eight games ago so that's going to give them confidence as will the Champions League but it's just figuring out whether David Moyes can understand how you manage your squad properly when you have all the competitions coming up and of course you've got cup competitions domestically to come as well and they have key injury worries at the moment yes they've got Adnan Yanazai, but he's still really new is he just kind of this kid that's burst onto the scene can he keep it up we just don't know do we it's still all very new that they've got to shore up their defence if they don't shore up their defence they could see themselves in really tough water but if they get that right if they play Johnny Evans a little bit more than a Vidic Ferdinand partnership I think Manchester United will slowly climb and he will still be in a job come January but at the moment it's, it's, it's not looking great where they are in the table, but I just think that's false.
2: Yeah. Still gunning for Johnny Evans there, Haley. I like his style. <laughs> Loyal to the end, and there's more on loyalty coming in a few moments' time. Let's look at Manchester United's next four games because uh, they aren't too easy either. They've, the big fixture this this Sunday, uh, they play Arsenal. Uh, Manchester United then got Cardiff away from home, Spurs away from home, and Everton too as well. What you need to remember before panicking actually about Manchester United, who, as we record this, sit in eighths, there's only three points between them in eighths and Chelsea in second. So by no means are we writing off Manchester United, but I don't think it's going to get immediately easier for them. Ali?
3: Yeah, no, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was just about to say the fact that six teams are separated by one point. So if Manchester United beat Arsenal at the weekend at uh, Old Trafford, they'll actually only be five points away from the top, which, you know, it suddenly puts things into context. You know, when you think if you're a Manchester United fan and you're down eighth in the table, that sounds absolutely dismal. But things can just change so quickly and uh, the table's just shuffling around. So much, so I think it's going to be a really interesting week. Arsene Wenger has also said, "Judge me by Christmas, then we'll have an idea." But I don't think we even have to wait until Christmas. I think this weekend we'll hope we'll know a lot about Arsenal. And going back to what Haley was saying about Lukas Podolski coming back, yes, I think that's great. But I also think that Arsene Wenger needs to use the opportunity to actually say to the fans, "We're in such a strong position. We've got one of the strongest, you know, title-contending seasons for so many years now." I'm going to actually go out and spend and make sure we wrap this up because, you know, when Meza Ozil was signed, I think everyone was delighted, but that wasn't what they wanted. They needed a striker. And I still think that Arsene Wenger needs to go and do that in January. I know it's going to be difficult, but... Arsenal fans must be absolutely begging to win something.
2: Let's talk briefly around a couple of the other teams up there. Manchester City, we've mentioned them in part now. That amazing 7-0 win against Norwich just absolutely obliterated uh, the Canaries there. Um, Sergio Aguero, top scorer, joint top scorer in the league, along with Daniel Sturridge. Amazing display there against Norwich. Yaya Torre completed 109 of his 117 attempted passes. So good with that pass completion rate. David Silva as well, so creative. You know, He does them so many faces doesn't he? Um, But was their 2-1 loss to Arsenal a telltale sign? Now, I think Manchester City more than anyone else in that top eight have got depth in squad and they need to make sure that they use that. Tottenham, they've only shipped five goals in the Premier League. That's only bettered by Southampton with four, but they've only scored nine. They're missing goals, Tottenham, so they need to address that. They've got a fairly difficult run of fixtures coming up away to Manchester City, home to Man United, home to Liverpool. Um, Let's talk Liverpool well, very, very briefly, my team, and I'll just chip in and said that, say that they've got a fairly good run up to Christmas, Hull, Norwich and West Ham for them. Small matter of a Merseyside derby in a few weeks' time to get the juices going. Didn't play well against Arsenal. They're still having these blip-blip results, Liverpool, and we need to um, address that. And it's unusual for Liverpool not to have a cast-iron defence. You know, we've built teams over the years, over the decades, based on a cast-iron defence. That needs to be addressed. Um, our strike partnership of Suarez and Sturridge is magical and is doing us a lot of favours 14 goals between them in the Premier League so far. Let me talk about a few other um, teams briefly Um, Ali I'll throw over to you Everton are obviously in in the mix too but who might come up from outside that current top 8 and uh, make a play for perhaps a place in Europe
3: yeah, I'm looking at the table now and I uh, I go straight to number 11 and West Bromwich Albion. I've been so impressed with them. Um, Steve Clark, is such a, a great tactician. He really knows how to play um, and, and how to undo teams as well. I think they've been so solid at the back. They've been great. And the fact that uh, Berahino's looked uh, really good as well. I say no, it's actually supposed to be Berejino. <laughs> I saw the uh, the club sent round a bit of a viral and it was quite funny. It had the player himself looking straight into the camera just saying Berahino. Berahino. My name's Berahino because I think he got a bit upset with everyone mispronouncing it left, right and centre. So I have to remember to get that one right. But yeah, West Brom, I think they could make a bit of a charge. Swansea City, I want to mention as well because they impressed us so much last year. I mean, Michu was obviously fantastic and Michael Laudrup, he's so good at getting a bargain. Um, he was only two million. Wilfred Boney, he spent a little bit more money on him. Um, but the fact that they've only actually scored two goals each, if they can start scoring again, of course, they're playing Europa League football as well, which is going to... I Affect them a little bit, but I think that they will get things together, and I think they'll continue to rise up the table. So those those two, West Brom and, and Swansea, I think for me, um, will finish a little bit higher than where they are at the moment. Any votes from you, Haley, as to who might creep into that top eight?
4: The fact that Swansea will want the bragging rights over Cardiff, and we saw the sheer emotion <laughs> passion. and passion and fan loyalty between all the fans in Wales split between the Blues and Swansea City one of them is desperate to finish above the other and I think that battle will actually keep them both ticking along really nicely and it's just so funny seeing them exactly next to each other in the league at the moment but I think Swansea have it over Cardiff City for me
1: Hi I'm Darren Goff and you're
0: listening believe it or not to three gorgeous women talking about football now football and women I'll leave it with you
2: Uh, We'll crack on now. We've got loads to talk about today. Uh, Loyalty bonus. They say that there's no loyalty in football, don't they? Uh, But sometimes it's left to the fans to lead the way. Even after being beaten 7-0 away from home, Norwich fans applauded their team off the pitch at the Etihad, which was a proud stand for their team, I thought. Uh, Or maybe it's misguided loyalty. Who knows? Uh, Give me two examples of fan loyalty, please, ladies. When has it been up to the fans to pick up the pieces? And has fan power ever turned a team's performance? Ali?
3: Yeah, I want to, uh, I'm going to actually go to Spain for my example um, and the, the example of Real Oviedo. I just love this story. It's, it's amazing because this, uh, this team hasn't been in the top flight for over a decade. They're in the third division and uh, because of a, a series of bad owners, politics and finances as well, um, it looked like in November last year they were going to go into liquidation and they were going to go out, out of business. Now, there was a massive campaign started and a, a little plug for a friend of mine, a, a colleague and uh, a journalist, Sid Lowe, who uh, who has a lot of Twitter followers and uh, he basically said if you're a fan of football you'll love the fact that uh, that Michu that Juan Mata and Santi Cazorla all played at this club in the north of Spain Real Oviedo and they're about to go out of business and he said please get behind and support the club he said basically they're going to sell their shares at uh, ten euros uh, ten seventy five euros a, a share and um, you're not going to get anything out of this though he said you know don't expect to get your money back but just do this to support the club um, it was an absolute Absolutely overwhelming response within two weeks. Uh, One point nine three million euros were bought in over sixty countries in the world. Mm. So I just love the fact that fans that you know had never even been there were, were getting on board and saying we want to save this club. And and you know a lot of people complaining and saying that uh, the players weren't putting their hands in their pockets, but in fact, Too supported it. Uh, uh, Casola and Matter as well. Uh, they put a lot of their own money in. Real Madrid bought a hundred thousand uh, euros worth of shares as well, and the the success story is they basically stayed up it's amazing and all the fans they came down to the stadium with paint cans and uh, and cleaning stuff and they basically made the the, the stadium you know a lot better and uh, and now it's really thriving it's doing well i mean, it's third i think they're third at the moment in the third division but the most important thing they didn't go into liquidation they weren't wrapped up and uh, i just think that's a lovely story of fan loyalty and how it can how it can help them for, uh, to stay up Okay, and your next one. My next one, yeah, this is a bit of a fun one, actually. I don't know if you remember, but this—if Arsenal fans out there might remember this—this um, this is the running man at Vietnam. Now, <laughs> I work for an, an international broadcaster, and I find it amazing to see how many people support um, teams from all over the world when they're never ever going to experience the, you know, what it's like to be in the stadium of the team that they support, and they're never going to meet uh, someone from there. But uh, basically, Arsenal came to Vietnam, and they were on the team coach driving through Hanoi, which is incredibly hot and humid and uh, the team coach looked out the window and they saw a fan in an Arsenal shirt running beside the coach. Really good runner really, really fast. A bit of a Theo Walcott pegging it along and um, and they realised after a few miles he was still beside the coach and he banged into a lamppost and a tree and he was still there and they ended up having a bit of a joke on the coach and they were all shouting out the window you know, Wenger, sign him up, sign him up and uh, I think he even jumped on a motorbike at one point. But the reason <laughs> is I just love the story because when they actually Pulled up, the guy was still there, and Wenger said, You know what? We've got to let this loyal fan on, on the team bust. So he went around, he got photographs, autographs, he got a hug from Arsene Wenger, and Wojtek Szczecin even said to him, Wow, love your six pack. Um, uh-huh. I'm not surprised. I mean, he's running along for five odd miles. Um, but that to me, I mean, it's great fan loyalty, and it's lovely to see that, uh, you know, football clubs can embrace it as well. Getting a hug from Arsene Wenger, eh, Hayley? If only
2: we were so lucky. Uh, what about your examples of fan loyalty? <laughs> My fan loyalty, again, like you, Alison,
4: I've gone for a club that are down in the bottom tiers of football, but they're actually Rangers. And the loyalty of Ali McCoy's player and Rangers fan who stuck with his team through thick and thin. But not just him the fans and the supporters who have gone through the mill with Rangers. I don't even want to list off the problems that they've had this last couple of seasons. I think you are probably very aware of the situation, but the fact that Ibrox is still selling out Every single week and that fans are still turning up regardless of who they're playing to make sure they get behind their team. There are key players as well who've decided to stay, take a pay cut and stay playing with their team. Yes, there are those that have had to leave. But like anything of any job that you're in, if you're being told that you're going to have to completely drop your wages, um, then sometimes you make a different decision but the fans are there they've stuck by their club, the Rangers Supporters Association, the Supporters Assembly Supporters Trust all coming together to make sure that their team is being so well supported that it carries on, that players will still continue to come and sign for Rangers and it won't just be a team that stays in the bottom tiers of Scottish football however the tiers work at the moment Um, so in the bottom division there they are climbing and I can see them going from back to back to back promotion and how proud would you be as a fan the day when they get back into the Scottish Premiership to say I was there and I stuck with them and I went through it I didn't give up my ticket and I stuck with them through thick and thin another fan who stuck with their team through thick and thin I have mentioned this on a previous podcast maybe a year or so ago but it's a lifelong Middlesbrough fan Steve Gibson who actually bought his club to save it from liquidation and he is still the owner of the club to this day Great friends of Chris Kamara. They grew up as youngsters. They're both still big Middlesbrough fans. Um, They came together to make sure that in 1986, he got together and helped the club from liquidation by forming a consortium. The gates were padlocked on Ayrton Park. And he thought, no, I can't let this happen. They went on from strength to strength. They left the the, the Ayrton Park um, in the 90s they had the Riverside Stadium they've had some great years there okay they're just ticking along kind of averagely in the championship at the moment but to think that a fan came in and bought his own club who then saw success in in Europe okay they never went on to win the Europa Cup or anything like that but they got there and they were playing abroad and they got to the semi-finals of the competition and I was there and then to the finals and you just thought wow this club is going to go strength to strength kind of hasn't happened but they had some amazingly talented players there over the years Gaza came to sign for them Azid Ravinelli Janino, Emerson Boxic. the list is endless Paul Merson and that was because they had a man who believed in his club he doesn't have the billions that Abramovich has he doesn't have the money that uh, Vincent Tan has or even the city owners at the moment but he's a man who's worked up from nothing an entrepreneur who has a haulage firm and he hauled all his money into his club he's made nothing from it apart from some great memories for Middlesbrough fans and let's hope things start picking up for them he's the ultimate fan.
2: of applause to Steve Gibson a um, couple of quick examples from me then um, cheap flights a flight website company, tried to analyse how loyal fans were um, this season when uh, the Champions League uh, draw was made. Uh, back in uh, back in August, they basically looked at, at, at kind of where fans were booking flights and they decided that actually Celtic fans were among the most loyal with a huge uptake, 1,604% uh, at peak uh, since the group fixtures were announced so the increase in demand went up by that much. At Manchester United supporters were ahead of their rivals Manchester City when it came, I guess it depends where these fixtures are of course. Um, Chelsea and Arsenal fans, they say, look least likely to follow their team into Europe, uh, with an average increase in traffic to Champions League destinations at 69%. But when you're Chelsea and Arsenal fans and you're living in London, the cost of everything is so much <laughs> more. i not surprised
4: they're skint. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and uh, Chelsea fans did have to fly to Basel, of course, whereas uh, Manchester United, well, they've got the um, the uh, away leg draw at Real Sociedad, of course. All that's going on this week, isn't it? So yeah, um, uh, according to cheap flights, Celtic, the most loyal uh, amongst our Champions League. Uh, over here uh, and this one's for Lindsay Hooper a Wolves fan he missed his first home game since 1976 to attend his stepdaughter's wedding uh, he was presented by Wolves with a shirt and he was presented to the to the home crowd at, at the next game uh, this was uh, this was uh, end of October uh, to mark his loyalty and support a guy called Pete Abbott from Ipswich funnily enough and they sent Steve Bull Haley, uh, Lindsay would have been jealous wouldn't she they uh, sent Steve Bull over and as a surprise and presented him with a special shirt
0: the female take on football
2: so a couple of animal related stories have caught my eye recently in the world of football folks in argentina a dog made his way into a -a five-a-side game to score a fantastic header might I add off the back post and uh, one of the candidates for the Sunderland job Rene Mullenstein who was actually a former Manchester United coach too once asked his Bromby team to name what kind of animal they would be on the field in a team talk before a game apparently he had a formation with you know a fox a lion a wolf (laughs) Um, so I would like uh, your best football animal tales Uh,
3: player animal lookalikes pets incidents go wild please girl. I'm going to go... When you think about football and animals, um, you can't really go much further without thinking about Pickles, the dog, who uh, who found the World Cup back in 1966, three months before the tournament. Um, they had it on display in Westminster and it went missing. It was stolen. And it's, it's hilarious actually reading the stories about the, the kind of the ransom notes and apparently part of the trophy was going to be left at Stamford Bridge and the police were on the case and it, it made really, really big headlines. But it was actually... Uh, A young four year old mongrel called Pickles. He was out for a walk with his owner who uh, uncovered a, a paper package. And inside was the Jules Romay Trophy, was the World Cup, and uh, they were able to return it. Now, the story goes that uh, the owner was given £3,000, which you can imagine in 66 was a lot of money. He actually ended up buying a house, um, £3,100 it cost him. I think wow. he still lives there. I don't know if he's still alive. I'm guessing he is today. Um, but it, sadly, this story doesn't end well. I thought I'd like look into it and it made me sad a bit, really, because Pickle's Got worldwide fame. He was travelling all over the world, making appearances. This is the dog that found the World Cup, earning £60 a day. Oh. But one day he went out for a walk with, the, I think, uh, the owner's nephew. And he had a bit of a, he had a choke collar on. And uh, I think the, the nephew threw a stick. He went to fetch it. And he ended up hanging himself from oh. a tree. So it doesn't end well at all for Pickles, sadly. Oh, yeah. But he's a hero and we should applaud him because without him, we wouldn't have the World Cup. So that's my animal story. I can never eat a cheese and pickle sandwich again.
2: Aww. Not after that story. When Sven Goran Eriksson was at Manchester City, there was a cat at the training ground whose Sven nicknamed... Wimbledon, after the way that foreigners pronounce Wimbledon. Uh, he spent most of his time sleeping in the laundry room or uh, watching training from an upstairs window, apparently. It was a ginger cat. Wimbledon, any more animal stories from you? Um, I've got one. What
4: about the Anfield cat? I think we've all oh, got yeah, this on our yeah, list, yeah. haven't we? He's got 59,000 followers know, on Twitter, which is unbelievable. It was actually 10 minutes into um, the Liverpool Spurs game, obviously at Anfield, and Sky Camera's just picked up on this... Little Moggy, who was just there having a nice little time on the pitch. You'd think he was just going to off, run off. We'd never see him again. Play would continue. It didn't. The cat was just thinking, this is the best thing ever. I have an audience for my playtime. And I'm going to play around this pitch as I wish. He literally just ran and ran and ran. They were kind of cheering and clapping in the crowd. It didn't scare him. He was absolutely loving it. Ran up to the goal as well. Brad Friedel kind of went to kind of pick it up and and couldn't sort of get his hands on it. And that was going to be a bit of a comedy moment and sort of chased it away. And it (laughs) ran down sort of the the edge of the the pitch. And I think one of the stewards ended up picking it up and taking it away. But the sky cameras, it's just so funny, followed for a good minute or so. This
3: cat just having the best day out of its life. I love it as well. The crowd were uh, were brilliant because they were shouting, a cat, a cat, a cat, Uh, which I thought was brilliant. And uh, and he's got loads of followers, hasn't he, still? And he tweets quite funny things. There was one, he says... uh, I ran past more players in my three-minute cameo than Downing did all season. <laughs> He's quite cheeky if you follow him. But yeah, my story, um, it's, a, it's another a bit of a morbid story, I'm afraid, but I uh, just thought it was quite interesting. The uh, the Kazakh champions, Shakhtar Karagandhi, uh, they caused a bit of a stir when they um, they slaughtered a sheep um, in the uh, in their arena, the Astana Arena, just before the Champions League playoff game with Celtic. Um, now, you can imagine the animal rights groups went crazy and said, you know, this, this can't be done. And they were worried that it would... Uh, uh, it would happen for the return leg as well. I think Neil Lennon was a little bit worried as well in his press conference when he was asked, is, you know, is there going to be a, a kind of a, a sacrificial uh, thing going on before um, they actually uh Gandhi ends up winning that game two nil. And in the return leg, the, uh, the coach was quite cheeky because when asked in the press conference, you know, are you going to do it again? And where are you going to find the sheep from? He turned around and said, well, Scotland seemed to have plenty of sheep. We'll have no problem there. So everyone was a little bit upset, but there was no sacrificing in the second leg. And, uh, I'm going to make a terrible gag that Karagandi played a little bit sheepishly oh. and they end up losing 3 0. So Celtic went through 3 2 on aggregates. So that is the moral of that story. Mm. Super, Alison. And one more from Hayley McQueen. What about the chickens which regularly appear? <laughs> <laughs>
4: From Blackburn fans exactly. and Venkies. Well, it was actually a protest against bird farming and the owners, venkies at Ewood Park. And a chicken ran out, uh, wrapped in a Rover's flag. And it was actually, again, up to the keeper. It was actually the Wigan keeper, Ali Al Habsi, who ran after it and grabbed it. And there was all these jokes. Keeper knows exactly what to do. And he was there trying to get this chicken and make sure that it was firstly unwrapped from this kind of flag thing that it was, it was... <laughs> in and and make sure that it was safe and got away Um, so that was quite funny there have been quite a lot of chickens appear at Ewood Park
2: cracking no yeah okay well uh, let's leave my terrible puns and I see Alison's been joining in with them as well Uh, and head over to our Twitter topic of the week here's Sean Thorne
0: Twitter topic of the week now we all have those little things in football which really wind us up be it diving, Alice bands or having to pay five dig for a pie so we thought we'd ask you lot for your football bugbears this week and you guys obviously had a lot to get off your chest because we've had loads for this one Emma Webster doesn't like fans who still think it's okay to smoke in the stands it does her head in yeah I'm with you on that one Emma I'm just confused why you'd risk getting slung out of a game just for a cigarette, it's madness Richard Buxton doesn't like the half and half scarves nothing more ironic than ones for teams that despise each other. Very true. I'm not sure how many people in South Wales would be wearing a joint Cardiff and Swansea scarf out in the town centre. Jake Dillon says he hates super fit players falling over at the slightest touch. He's so annoyed with it. The ones that scream, roll six times, cheating scum. I quite enjoyed how you seemed to get more and more annoyed as that tweet went on, Jake. But still 100% agree with you. I can't see how the players can look back at the videos of those matches afterwards and not feel completely ridiculous. Chris Lee isn't a fan of flares. Pointless, dangerous and annoying as. I think the linesman David Bryan would probably go along with you on that one after he took one to the back of the head. Mark Spence doesn't like players wearing gloves. Hashtag bunch of softies. I'm guessing keepers are all right though. And finally, Chris Pugh doesn't like teams who keep the ball in the corner when winning in the dying minutes. He knows the reasons why they do it, but it's just no fun to watch. I agree with that. Even when my own team, Bristol City, are in a winning position, I don't like seeing that. Not that we've been in many winning positions this season. Cheers to everyone who got in touch this week. If you haven't already, get yourself following us on Twitter, at Pod and get involved with next week's chat. So this is Sean Thorne signing out, and I'll see you next week.
2: Thanks very much, Sean. A couple of things to mention from us. Um, On our website, offsiderulepodcast.com, you can find details of a competition that Jump Magazine are running to find a reporter. You must be 16 or under, I think, to find a reporter for the under-17 women's Euros that are taking place very, very shortly. It's quite a tight turnaround, but if you've got a younger brother or sister or you are young yourself and you fancy giving that a go, check out our website. There's a link over to all the details from Jump Magazine. We made it as finalists, as we mentioned last week, for the Football Blogging Awards Best Podcast. Continue to vote, guys. We can take your votes till the 17th of November. Uh, tweet uh, with, I'm voting for, at Offside Rule Podcast uh, to uh, at the FBAs. More details on our website. Again, so please give us a vote, even if you voted before. Uh, we need your votes and no retweets, please. Um, and we've got a fantastic selection of blogs on our website currently. There's a really good one about um, the increase in Asian female supporters of football. Megan Harris from Notts County Ladies does a regular blog called The Football Gene, which is always brilliant. Um, And there's a great one uh, from Alice Weeks as well on being a Sheffield Wednesday fan. That one came out a couple of days ago. Let's head over to Foreign Climbs. Let's hear all about Syria from Mina Rizuki.
1: Hello and welcome to the Italian Football Roundup with me, Mina Rizuki. Watching Torino-Roma, I defy anyone who believes Serie A isn't full of excitement. After managing 10 wins from 10 games, Roma travelled to Turin in hopes of matching a European record. On paper, this looked like a winnable fixture. But with Torino's speed of movement and overwhelming attack, Rudy Garcia's men finally dropped points for the first time this season. That's good news for Napoli and Juventus, who both won their respective matches over the weekend, to shorten the gap at the top. But while certain clubs are flying, others are plummeting. Once again, Milan collapsed and lost, and this time it was to Fiorentina. The duo have shared a sour relationship ever since Milan scored two goals in the last six minutes of the game against Siena in the final match of the season to snatch third place and send Fiorentina to the Europa League. The Tuscans swore revenge and, with a mature and composed performance, defeated the Rossoneri. Much like the match against Fiorentina last year, Milan coach Max Allegri is under an increasing amount of pressure, with tabloids speculating on when he will be sacked and on who will take over. Is he really at fault or was their summer transfer market simply an abject failure? 11 million were spent on striker Alessandro Matri when the club really needed a quality defender and a midfielder. As for Inter, it's all about coach Walter Mazzari and the marvellous work he's done. Is he really all that great considering their young coach last year, Andrea Stramaccioni, managed 27 points after 11 games, whilst Mazzari has only picked up 22? Ah, but you see, they actually have an identity now. That's all from me on the latest in Serie A. Ciao. Okay, thank you
2: very much, Mina, with all the latest from Syria there. Uh, remember you can listen to us via audiobo. We're on iTunes and on Twitter as well at Offside Rule Pod. The website, OffsideRulePodcast.com, Podcast dot com, is well worth checking out as well. And you can also like our Facebook page, The Offside Rule. That's it for today. Thanks so much to you, Ali, and also to Hayley as well. Well, we're out every Thursday. Don't forget to check us out and we'll see you soon.
0: The offside rule, we get it with Lindsay Hooper, Hayley McQueen, and Kate Borset.